Episode 314, The Rant, Jimmy Lynch, Eternal Terrier, head coach of the boys' varsity basketball team at St. Francis Prep. After a socially distant workout at SFB, we chop it up in the same classroom I have memories of to discuss his early life in Regal Park, his destiny to attend and play basketball at St. Francis Prep, to his reach as a math teacher, and following in his mentor's footsteps in becoming the head coach of his alma mater. We also discuss the state of high school sports in New York and his anticipation in participation for his team competing in the New York Madness Tournament. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Lynch, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest, and I'm live at St. Francis Prep. This is the room where I remember they would have all of the, uh, the teams that were on break at the state championship two years ago when my volleyball team made it and lost in the semifinals. But I'm with a super special guest, um, head coach of the St. Francis Prep, St. Francis Terriers in Queens. We just had a practice. Mr. Jimmy Lynch. How are you, coach? Ralph, what's going on, man? I'm- I was excited to watch you guys play because it's really weird because in Long Island, we're all playing. Right. And it's interesting just from a referee's perspective, like the season ramped up. And by the time I was like in a groove, it winded down. Sure. And then my two games just got canceled because of COVID. But you guys are in a completely different situation. What is like the the state of like coaching right now? And you know, I guess de Blasio just opened up high-risk. Well, Cuomo opened up high-risk sports. And then now you guys have just been practicing. Like, what has that been like? For, for us right now, it's, it's just so day-to-day. Like, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Mm-hmm. So we just try to keep ourselves ready. Like, we're, we're waiting, and we're, we got our fingers crossed, and, and we're hoping to get some good news at any time. Anytime they tell us, uh, you know, go ahead, start your season, have some tryouts and have some practices and play some games, we just have to stay ready, and, and we're hoping and praying that, that that'll happen at some point soon. Mm. And you try to make it as competitive as possible by bringing other people to practice that are like St. Francis Prep alumni. Um, how's that been? Has that been, has that been the fill for, you know, regardless of you not playing, has that been just as competitive or no? It so, I, I mean, we would do that in a normal year anyway. Like, yeah. we have a great connection to our alumni base, and some of the guys that played for me in the past, they always come back. They check out practice. Uh, they work out with us, and, and some of the guys that play in college, they're, they're always calling me, Coach, can I, can I get a little workout? Can I get some 
Uh, can I run up and down with your guys? And I think that's great for us too because we're playing against quality competition as much as we can. So we've been trying to keep this as, as super competitive as possible. We've been trying to open the gym for our guys as much as possible. We know these kids need an outlet. Some of these kids haven't played a competitive game in a year. So whatever we can do to help these kids uh, get through these tough times, we'll, we're willing to do. Yeah, and that's how we connected because those tough times, I feel like for for a, like a baby like three weeks, I was like, I don't know where referee rant's going to go because I'm not refing. So I don't know how to keep this going if everyone is not refing like the whole world. So how did you catch wind of referee rant? So it, it's funny because – during this quarantine, you know, we go to a shutdown. I'm, I'm sitting in my house with, with my kids, my wife, my family. And, you know, you don't know what to do. Now, you go from a situation where you coach for five straight months and you have zero free time to now you have tons of free time. What am I going to do with my free time? And I think what I tried to do was, you know, through the social media, I think I, I, I happened upon your uh, your podcast and I saw some – uh, names like I listened to um, Tom Konchalski's podcast. I thought that was tremendous. And obviously he's a tremendous guy and uh, he's somebody I looked up to for years. So he kind of caught my eye. Uh, I listened to that one. I listened to uh, a friend of mine, Rob Moses, we had on. We, we play in the MTG League that he runs uh, with the St. Francis team. So I listened to Rob. This past week, I think you had uh, Ray Downs from uh, from our league, who's an official in our league, who's a great official, by the way, tremendous official, who should be a Division One official. But I, I just, I, I would listen, and, and when I had the time to listen, I enjoyed it. So I, you got 300 episodes, though, Ralph. <laughs> I don't know if I can, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I didn't listen to all 300, but I've listened to about 10 to 12 of the episodes. I, I enjoy it. I'm a basketball junkie, so anything you kind of give me, basketball, whether it's a referee, uh, whether it's an evaluator, a coach, a player, I'm going to eat it up. Yeah, I was going to say the totality of who you were saying, the connections that you have with Rob Moses, who's also the assistant coach at Cardozo High School, and also a referee, Tom Kinchalski, who, of course, has been the master evaluator in New York City. And then just Ray Downs, just the fact that you listen to all three who kind of play different positions in the game, you all realize that we love the same game. And I think that was always my mission state with referees because sometimes we were always like the forgotten once right, sure. but now that you see that we have a personality we care about the game just as much as anybody does but you know I think about last season I had you guys at St. For, at, uh, at Chaminade and you know I just remember it was just a normal season it was the beginning of the season and to me that's the time where things start ramping up you're getting ready for the real regular season and it was a competitive game and then you know just towards the end I remember I had a freshman game here and we were in that room where we were trying to do the podcast but they have all these ergonomic <laughs> right. things going on um then we moved into this room. I go back to the year's time, and I think about how, how much success you guys had. And you guys just won the championship. And you guys were raring to go to the next level of, you know, state championships and federations. You had all of those hopes. But then, you know, around a year ago this time, there was this unusual virus that came from China. And, you know, just like you said off air, we thought we were going to go two weeks and then get back, back to it. But, you know, everything right. got canceled. And it was just very weird. So, you know, going back to those moments, going back to that season and all the success that you had – and then it got preempted. First, I wanted to ask you, how's your family holding up? How are you holding up during this whole time? And, you know, going back to March, when was the moment that you took everything serious? Like, oh, this is like, we're, we're not coming back. So just the first thing, my family, my immediate family, uh, my wife, Gia, and, and our three children uh, and, and our close family, we've been super lucky. We never had COVID. We weren't really affected by COVID. 
And unfortunately, we all know, everybody in the basketball community knows somebody or somebody that either passed away or got really sick. And uh, so just my family, super lucky uh, to get through that time. And, you know, it's crazy. Like when we go through a season in the four or five months that we're immersed in a season, I don't think I ever really worried about the virus that you heard was coming here. It was just, we have a job to do and we're working and I'm teaching and I'm coaching and that's my job. And I wake up the next day and I do it. So we're going through this whole entire season and we're having some success. It started off a little slow for us. You had us at a Chaminade. That was a scrimmage game for us. And I think it was the night before Thanksgiving, actually. So from that time, I would think the first month or two, we had a super young team. Uh, we moved up five sophomores. Uh, we had a couple of really good juniors. Uh, we had one or two seniors uh, that contributed on a team, but we were young. We didn't know what to expect. Uh, our practices at the beginning of the year, we knew we had to get after these kids, and we knew we had to like just teach them what we wanted them to do. And we said if, if two years or a year from now we could be really good, you know, if we have to take our lumps this year, so be it. We will. We go through probably the first month of the season, November, uh, and into December, and, and we're struggling. We're probably, you know, we lost our first two or three league games. We actually played a crazy game against Christ the King early on in December, and that, that game went to five overtimes, and very easily either team could have won. Kids made great plays on Christ the King. Kids made, kids made great plays on uh, St. Francis Prep. We were lucky enough to win the game. So at least we had a, a league win under our belt, which we were kind of worried about. Like, this league is so difficult. You don't know when your first league win uh, might come. So we, we get a league win. We're happy. Uh, we went up to a really good tournament in Elmira, New York, called the Josh Palmer uh, Tournament, uh, run by Josh, who's a great dude up in uh, Elmira. And we played quality competition for three straight days. And we got away. We got out of New York City. We got away. And we didn't win the tournament. We came in third. Uh, we won our first game against uh, Bishop Carney, a good team, good program from Rochester. We ran into a team from uh, Ohio uh, called Painesville Harvey, who had a really good player on their team. Bishop Time, it was a really good player uh, on their team. We lost to them in the semifinal. Good game. We lost by two, I think. But then we bounced back the next day. We played Bishop McDonough from, uh, I think they're from Pittsburgh. And uh, we beat them. We beat them pretty good. And I said to our staff, I said, you know what? I think we're getting better. I think we're coming together. I, I think we can make some noise in this league. And, and uh, you know, we still had a long road ahead. Of course, we get back, and what do you run into in this league? You run into Zavarian on the road. Uh, they were a top team in our league last year. Then poor scheduling on my part, I guess, because I scheduled Stepanak to come in here on a Tuesday afternoon, and I scheduled St. Raymond's to come in here on a Sunday afternoon to play us. So just that week alone for us was a little bit of a nightmare. But we actually played decently. We were in both games. We were in both games until the end. And I just kept saying to the staff, you know, we just got to hug what we do, and, and this is what we do, and we'll get better. Let's just get better and get better. Well, we hit a point in January where we won nine games in a row. We, we didn't lose for like a month. And the young kids that we said were young and we said they're sophomores and, and they need some time to develop, they developed, and they developed in a big way. Um, and we got to get ourselves right into the mix. We actually, a regular season, because of a few tiebreakers, they, they gave us the first number one seed in Brooklyn, Queens. And then for me, always, the, the Brooklyn, Queens playoff is, is it's my favorite week of basketball uh, in everything that we do. Uh, we were the number one seed heading into the tournament. Uh, we played, and, and the best part for us was 
the Brooklyn Queens tournament last year was at our place, was at St. Francis. So we're getting home games now. Uh, we played Malloy in the semifinal. Uh, we beat them, and then we played a great one-point uh, game, could have won either way, and we were able to beat uh, Zaverian in the final. So we were. it was great for us. We, we won Brooklyn Queens, first time in 20 years we had done it, and now we're ready for the city playoffs. We go right to the quarterfinals. They had some early preliminary games here before the quarterfinals. That's, that's when uh, Christian Bliss from Malloy broke the backboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he broke the backboard in our gym. Uh, I was here. I was actually sitting next to Tom Kinchowski for those games wow. um, a year ago. And so we, we did finish our season because we went up to – we were supposed to play at Fordham University, quarterfinals. Uh, our opponent was Monsignor Scanlon. They canceled the game. Uh, it was supposed to be a Sunday afternoon up at Fordham. They canceled this game. They say you're going to play Monday afternoon at Christ the King. Monday comes and goes. That game got canceled. All right, you're going to play Tuesday at Mount St. Michael. Canceled. So we kind of knew, all right, something's up. This doesn't look too good. We find, I think we played on a Wednesday. We go up to Stepanak. Um, and, and this is part of when I knew something was, was pretty serious here. Our team walks into Stepanak. No fans, no spectators, right? So our team walks into Stepanak. Scanlon is in right behind us. We, we kind of show up at the same time for, I guess, a 6 o'clock game or whatever it is. They shut these giant gates right behind us, and they didn't let anybody in that building. And Pat Masseroni up at Stepanak and his staff, they – they did a great job just keeping everybody safe, and, and league administrators uh, did a great job keeping everybody safe. But I took a picture of that. I remember taking a picture of that, and I, and I sent it to my wife, and I said, this is the state of our basketball league right now. This is how we're playing. There's no fans here. It's, it's just wild. We lost that game. We lost the quarterfinal game. Great game that I don't even think anybody knows even happened. Uh, we lost in overtime to Scanlon, and season's over. So I stayed. There was another game. Malloy plays against St. Raymond's. Um, I think I leave after the third quarter. And I say goodbye. Oren Barfield's roughing the game. I say goodbye to him. I say goodbye to Pat Masseroni, a couple of league guys that were there. I get in my car, and I'm driving home by myself, and I hear that the NBA gets shut down. That was the Rudy Gobert thing, yeah, I, yeah, I think, yeah. that mm-hmm. went down. The next day, I was supposed to go to the Big East tournament with a couple of buddies of mine, and, and St. John's is playing. I couldn't tell you who they're playing. They got through like a half of basketball. We didn't even go to the game. But you start seeing all these uh, conference tournaments, which go on right about now, they get shut down. So right there, it's pretty serious. Um, We get back to school. Our principal goes on and says, "Uh, listen, we're going to take like a 14-day break. Um, We'll still be remote. You'll still be teaching your classes. But we just need 14 days, and and then we'll bounce back. We'll clean the school, and and we'll do this. We'll bounce back. And okay. 14 days, that's fine. I'll be back in two weeks, and, and we're good. We never went back to school. So, you know, that, that's when you're saying, I haven't seen my – we lost that game. I haven't seen the kids on my team until we probably got – we did a couple of workouts in uh, June, July outside. Um, but I didn't see some of the kids on my team until we started school again in September. Yeah, just thinking about what you just said with that point um, – I'd say around May, right before Memorial Day, I spoke to Coach Masseroni from Stepanak and Coach Lopez from St. Ray's, right. and they were talking about their game when they had <laughs> no fans, and it was a similar experience that you had. But I, I think what was intertwined at that point was that they were already 
accepting that there was going to be no season? Was it something that you didn't really accept, or was it something that you you knew like by the time it was April, by the time it was May, we're not we're not going to play anymore? Right, we, we just didn't know. Like it, it was so hard because I thought we had a great practice on the Saturday, right before we were supposed to play uh, at Fordham University. And of course, every coach is going to say that right before your your final game. We had the the uh, best practice of our life. Well, we did. We had a legit practice. Then we, Sunday comes and goes. We don't have a game. I got to tell our kids, listen, come into school because we're going to have a practice. Well, when's the game, coach? I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> right. So every day it was just like, all right, are we going to play this game? It gets to be Wednesday. We're supposed to go up to Stepanak to play this game. I never thought I'd be going up to that game. I thought at some point during the day my athletic director is going to come downstairs to my classroom and say, listen, you guys aren't playing. You know, it's over. All of a sudden, I'm on a bus heading up to uh, New Rochelle, which at the time, or White Plains, which at the time, you know, that was a hot spot right. for this whole thing. I never thought we'd be going up there, but we did. We played the game, and uh, I know a lot of teams never got to finish their season. What could have been, we finished. Without a doubt, we, we lost that game. Uh, so we did get to finish that season, but a lot of teams didn't. Yeah, I was thinking the, probably the hottest moment right before the pandemic happened was that game at Mount when it was Stepanak versus St. Ray's. Sure. And, and, um, and, and the night before, we played Zavarian. So you had in this gym that you were just in, in this gym you had about 2,500 people watching that game. How many people were over at Mount St. Michael? 3,000? Oh, like, it's it crazy. Place, yeah. And then like a week or two later, you can't go near anybody else. Right, <laughs> it's right. crazy. And you watch it. I mean, you watch it in hindsight, and you can't believe that that looks like a different world from the things that we're used to sure. now. Mm-hmm. Going back to those beats in April, May, June, July – I know we talked off air about just being in Long Beach. I, I loved it because I think they had a super spreader event and they kicked everybody out. So during <laughs> yeah. the weekend, it was in, in fact, it was it felt like during the day um, in the summer, yes. like on the weekend. It was it was perfect for somebody that always goes. And I don't like to have a crowded <laughs> beach. But, um, you know, I found just, you know, different things that I, I learned about myself. And, and just as a teacher, you know, just being remote, I think everyone was unprepared at the time because I know for me, my son was home. And I didn't see the teachers. Right. They just gave me the hope with the work. And, like, you had to figure it sure. out. Lucky for me, like, I, I, I had an idea what to do. What was teaching like in the beginning in those days when now we're, we're not focusing on being a coach. Now you just have the beats of a math teacher, and you're trying to do it remote. That's got to be difficult. It's, it's really hard. And I keep saying to all my peers that, are, that I'm teaching with, I don't want to get good at this. Because if I get good at this, that means we're doing this a lot longer than I ever expected. So, yeah, I don't think anybody was ever prepared at the beginning of this whole thing. We were trying to do the Zoom and the Google Meets, and I'm not much of a tech guy, so just that alone was difficult for me. And, and But I, I have good teachers around me that, that can help me get through that. But um, it was really hard, and it was just it's hard to keep the kids' interest, too, when they're at home and you can't interact with them. One, one of the favorite parts of my job teaching is I get to walk up and down the classroom and, and go up to a kid and say, hey, let's work on this, or... Uh, keep them on task or try to motivate them or something. We lost that element to it uh, a little bit. We've improved. Uh, our classes are great now. I don't want to say they're great, but, you know, they're much better than they were months ago. Uh, we've improved just our, our teaching and our learning styles, and, and I know what to look for when I'm on a Google Meet or, or something. So um, we've improved. I'm just hoping we don't have to do this much longer. I'm praying. It seems like we're going to have to do this the rest of the year. I would love to hear in September, like, everybody's back and we're having normal school. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but right. fingers crossed. Right. I'm thinking summer 2022. I mean, early on, I read in the pandemic from 1919, 
that it took about two and a half years. So yeah, that's, sure. That's it's it's, it's, it's going to take some time. I mean, we're still wearing masks and everything. Yeah. It, it's going to take time. And, and as we, if it's going to keep everybody safe, the longer, as long as it takes, that's fine. And yeah. everyone's safe and healthy. We'll do whatever. Yeah, I, think, I think at this point we're, we're just used to doing <laughs> right. what we need to do. But, you know, this whole time, um, just having your season inexplicably stopped and then you thought for after two weeks you'd be back and then just not knowing where you were going to be and then learning a new form of teaching during this whole time of pause. What do you think you learned about yourself? Well, I, I reconnected with my family for sure because you start in November, you end in February, <laughs> March, and sure enough, like, there are days days and weeks. I, I don't see my kids. I have three kids. I have a seven-year-old. I have a five-year-old. I have a three-year-old. Um, so that was a that was a, something positive that came out of this whole experience. I got to reconnect with my wife and my kids, and we did a lot of family activities. Like you mentioned, we went down to the beach, and I tried to do something fun with them, and one big activity uh, once or twice a week for sure and get out of the house a little bit. So it was great to, to reconnect with them, and, and they're in the, the early stages of their life, and I want to watch them grow up for sure. I don't want to miss that. But then, you know, weeks go by, and for me, being a basketball junkie, I miss basketball. And so I, I think what I started to do, and, and probably every coach did this, you go back on those coaching clinics, I listen to your podcast, right, and, and you study. That's what you do. That, that's all I've known for pretty much my entire life is – how can I get better doing what I'm doing? And when you tell me we can have another basketball season, another game, I can have another workout with my kids, how can I be better and help those kids that I'm coaching out to get themselves better? Mm, yeah. So just even what you were saying with that, just kind of reconnecting to the things that you used to do from when you were younger. I know all the time, even last night I was driving through West Hempstead, and then sometimes I'll often see like a rusted out basketball hoop. <laughs> and I think about, like, early on in the pandemic, especially when the city closed and all the rims were down, those were gold, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you think about yeah. it, it's, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the untold story of, like, somebody like you and I, our childhood, where maybe one day eighth grade me was playing on that court. Sure. And we just used the crap out of it. And then all of a sudden we, you know, we graduated, we moved out, and then it's just out there. Ralph, could you imagine eighth grade you going through a pandemic? No, no, right? because we it's didn't crazy. have our cell phones. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Good point. Whoever, like, our friends are in, the, in proximity. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't, that's why I, don't, I, I can't get what these kids are going through. And, and you know, I, I grew up in a, a two-bedroom apartment. Uh, me and my sister, who's 10 years older, we shared a bedroom. I can't imagine having to stay home for six months and, and not being able to see my friends or go to the park and play some ball and release some energy and, you know, this – Terrible for these Yeah, kids. it's a tough thing, but also we can also find solace that we are all going through it. It's 100%. Not, it's not a thing that it's an unequal thing of saying like, well, he's being affected, but it's not. Because even though you weren't affected by the virus, it still affected your day-to-day. -day. It affected what you were doing from time to time. But you did mention that you did grow up in a two-bedroom apartment <laughs> with your sister that is 10 years older. Having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and in college? So I, I grew up in Rigo Park uh, in Queens. Uh, I went to Resurrection Ascension Grammar School. That, that's where I grew up, and I started playing uh, youth-level ball in the CYO. And CYO, back uh, when we were kids, Ralph, that was that was a big deal. Uh, so I played I played baseball and I played basketball. Those are my two sports. I, I really didn't play anything else. I, I might play like a, a intramural soccer thing or whatever, but baseball and basketball, uh, that was pretty much my thing. I was lucky enough as a kid, uh, my father um, – even though he worked, uh, he was a CPA, and even though he worked all week long, uh, he became our parish athletic representative, our PAR. So 
he would open up the gym for me on Saturdays and Sundays and, and some of the other kids in the neighborhood and in the parish. He'd open up the gym and, and I had access to our gym 24-7. And I think that's where I kind of fell in love with the game of basketball. Um, you know, and then time goes on and now I got to pick a high school. Really don't know where I want to go. Didn't put much thought into it, I got to be honest with you. Um, and then I had somebody in the parish uh, who was actually a referee, Billy Ottinger. I don't know if you know Billy. I've never heard of him, but so, he sounds like an influential person. So, so Billy was in our parish, and uh, he refed in the Catholic League. And he said, where are you thinking about uh, going to high school? I said, ah, Billy, I don't know. What do, you want, what do you think I should do? He goes, uh, well, do you want to play? Do you want to play sports? I said, I do. And it was important to me at the time. Like, I, I didn't want to just sit on a bench somewhere. And, uh, you know, where I grew up, Christ the King is, is, is right there. I could probably walk to Christ the King. But I knew what they had going in there, and they, they got some talented, talented kids there. And I, I just didn't know if that was the right fit for me. And he kind of put me on. He said, what about exploring St. Francis Prep? Okay, what's up with it? So I, I go over to the open house, and uh, I like it. And I actually got to meet uh, some of the guys on the coaching staff who actually became mentors to me later on in life. And uh, I love the place. I thought there was an opportunity here for me. I thought I could get on the floor and get on the court. You know, not that I wanted to be the best player, but I just didn't, I wanted to play. You know, I wanted some minutes, um, and I was able to do that. I played for four years here. I played every level. I played freshman basketball, JV. Uh, I played two years on a varsity. Got to play most of the time. I started. If I didn't start, I got uh, some minutes. Wasn't the best guy. Wasn't the worst guy. But I got to play high school basketball, which was important to me. When, when I saw, I used to go as a kid, I used to go over to St. John's University for the CHSAA AA semifinals every year. And my father would take me over there. I couldn't believe that was a high school basketball event. I thought it was a college event. I thought these were pros. And I'm watching like um, like Orlando Antigua play for St. Raymond's and Kareem Reed play for St. Raymond's. And I'm like, how can I play in this league? I want to play there. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Like, there's yeah. so many people at this. Like, I'd like to play in that league. And then you find out, all right, St. Francis Prep, they play in that league. And I can go there and I can get some run. So I decided to go over here, and uh, I started here in 95 as a student, left in 99, but I really never left because two years later I was back coaching a freshman team. Yeah, and I, I got a very similar story. So I'll intertwine this by my senior year. I was playing volleyball, and that's really my sport. That's my claim to fame because in basketball, as we talked off air, you know, I never really got a chance to play like AU, so – I was always just like a very frustrated Muggsy Bogues type player. <laughs> I was 5'3", very aggressive. And I remember in the Catholic League, I would always play these like these high-level games, and there'd be so many people in the crowd. There'd be the girl that I liked, and then I'd get two fouls, <laughs> and then it would never work out right. for me. So my basketball high school career never went as much as planned, but I will say that I had all of my success in volleyball to the point where in ninth grade, uh, we ran through a buzzsaw of a team of Chaminade, and they were undefeated. And I remember that year because they didn't lose. And you know how in, in volleyball, it's always a best of five, right? Okay, yep, sure. So Chaminade that year, my senior year, they only lost one game. They lost one game to us, oh, so wow. they, beat, they, <laughs> they're, beat, they're they legit. beat us in four. <laughs> and they beat St. Anthony's in four. And that was where their only two losses. But in the championship game, which was played at St. Francis Prep, oh, wow. we, we swept them. So they had more losses in that one match right, than they, they did, did the whole season. <laughs> That's how I ended my senior year, which was amazing. Come full circle, I ended up staying at home, and, you know, the coach that gave me so much, you know, volleyball, I decided to be her assistant coach. And it was really interesting because it was like I was fresh out of school. 
right. I'm still in college. I just, I'm their <laughs> friends. So it was a weird dynamic. And as you get older, it's a lot easier to coach them with that separation. What was those uh, beginning beats that you had, you know, when you were the freshman coach and just like still young, you're still being a kid yourself. Sure. So the, probably the worst thing that happened to me, I, I'm named freshman coach. And, and, and listen, I, I, it was kind of right place, right time type of thing. I'm, I'm super young. I know I wasn't their first choice and that's fine. But they named me the freshman coach. And the worst thing that happens to me is we go out that first year and we win 18 games. And I think I'm, I'm like the greatest coach on the planet. I'm like, this is easy. You know, I, I didn't realize that the kids that I had, we couldn't beat, I think that year, we couldn't beat Christ the King. They were really good. And we couldn't beat Malloy for whatever reason. We just couldn't beat those teams. They were better. But we could beat everybody else. So I think I'm like top dog here. I'm really good at this. This is easy. This coaching thing. Wow, I'm going to stick with this. This is great. We get to the playoffs that year. We match up with Zavarian. I'm already looking past Zavarian. We beat Zavarian three times during the year. Like, we're going to, you know, we'll, we'll run the floor with them and then we'll, we'll play Rice in the next round or whatever we do. Well, what do you think happens? Of course, the team we beat three times, the team we beat uh, by probably 10 to 20 points every single time out beats us in the first round. And, and I think, you know, I try to tell our kids that too. Like, that, that kind of defines you. I, I think you need to fail. When you're, when you're young, you need to figure out, and, and when you're moving on, like failure defines you and how you respond to failure, that, that's a big-time thing. So right away I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I blew a game, this, that, and the other thing. So right then and there I said, you know what, I, I, I don't want this to happen again. I, I didn't like that feeling, but I'm still young. I'm, I'm 21, 22 years old. I don't know what I'm doing, but I really liked coaching. I enjoyed it. I didn't want that feeling again. I said, you know what, I'm going to study. I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever it takes to just, again, try to get better at my craft and, and to learn and learn and learn, uh, continuous learning. And that's when I think I just said to myself, you know what, I got a, an absolute legend as a high school coach who was my high school coach. Tim Leary is an absolute high school uh, legend that he does practice right after me. He's the guy that gave me this job, and he does practice right after me. And I said, you know what, I'm going to coach my freshman team. I'm, we're going to have practice. And then I'm going to observe Tim Leary's practice every single time. And if I can emulate that man and if I can take some of the concepts that he, he's given to his players and I could put forth into my freshman team, I'm going to try to do it. And, and that's what I did. And just, listen, am I anywhere near a perfect coach? No. Am I even a good coach? I doubt it. But I just want to get better at my craft every time out, and, and that's what I try to do. Do you think Coach Leary did that by design? I mean, I know he probably didn't tell you, but it was like a tacit agreement <laughs> that if you're going to get on and you want to get good, he knew that you were going to figure out that you were going to have a personal pursuit and ambition to get good and that the only next progression would be to watch his thing. Do you think he put yourself in that position? A thousand percent. I, I think there were times I, I'd chop it up with him and say, what do you think we could have done here and what do you think we could have done there? But he put me in that position. He knew I was going to fail. And I think, just like I do with our players now, he wanted to see how I responded to the failure. Is this guy just going to cry about it? Is he going to come back the next year? Is he, is he going to you know, just make, uh, point fingers and make excuses? He 1,000% did that by design. He, he, gave me, you know, he, he gave me the responsibility of coaching the team, and then he stayed away. And he let me figure out my own practices and my own practice plans and substitution schedules and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know what, it, it, in the long run, he did me such a great favor by that. Because if, if he had micromanaged me and said, no, you should have done this, and this is what you need to do here, and why didn't you foul when you were up three or whatever, 
I would have never learned. I would have been like, well, this is the way he does it. That's what I got to do. And I've learned and, and I've tried to take as much from him uh, that I could. And, and just even in those practices alone, like I would sit on the side by myself. I'd have a notepad, like a legal pad, and I would take notes. And weeks went by. He didn't even acknowledge that I was in the gym. And then he said to me one day, I think an assistant coach wasn't there or whatever. He says to me, he goes, are you active today? I go, I didn't know what that meant. Are, are you active today? He goes, I want you to, all I want you to do is, is stand over here and you're going to pass the ball on this drill. Okay. So I do it. That's it. I go back to sitting down with my legal pad, taking my notes, whatever. The next day he's like, you active again? Yeah. He goes, all right, why don't you do five minutes with our guards and just go work those guys out? So I started to see like a little pattern going on here. I said, you know what, if, if he's going to ask me to do something, I better be ready and I better be prepared. And I'm going to do it to the, you know, I'm going to give it my max effort. I'm, I'm going to go out there. And if he tells me to work with the guards, I'm telling you right now, those guards, they're going to get the work out of their life. Like they, I'm going to put them through the best drills I've ever found and researched and uh, whatever. And just slowly he started bringing me along and, and uh, I did more and more practice. He allowed me to sit on his bench uh, with him eventually when it's pretty fun. One of the first responsibilities he ever gave me uh, on the bench, he had a press. It, it was 22 was his baby. That was his press. He loved it, right? So he would always say to me, I want to know any team that we play against, I want to know how they're going to try to break our press. What are they going to do? Where are they going to throw their first pass? Where's the next one going? Who's going to be where? So the first couple times out, I'm like, all right, you know, I think this guy's going to go here. I think this guy's going to go there. And he, would, he was still coaching me, even though I'm on his staff. He, that's not good enough. I want to know exact things. So I just took it upon myself. I said, all right, I'm going to go to every Catholic League game in this city. I don't even care if we're playing that team because we might match up with somebody in a tournament or something. And all I'm going to look at is the way they beat pressure defense. And I did. And I gave him this whole big report. He's like, what is this? I'm like, you asked me to do something, I did it. And I think ever since, like, those kind of events, I, I think he kind of saw, like, this, this guy's going in the right direction. Mm. Now, do you think all those moments, do you think, obviously, he was grooming you subconsciously, <laughs> but do you think that a, a lot of the reasons as to why he assisted you so much, why he aided you to get to that point, for you to go through the ringer, for him to get you to the point to where you are at this moment, do you think he saw what, what he saw himself in, in you? I, I, there has to be. I think, and, and he coached for 43 years, and I think at the beginning of his time, and he coached for a man named Jack Prenderville, uh, Jack Prenderville was our coach when St. Francis Prep was at, back in Brooklyn on North 6th Street. And I'm pretty sure, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure if you went back and found some tapes or found whatever, I'm sure Tim Leary is sitting at Jack Prenderville's practice, picking his brain, making a pass, telling him how someone's going to break his press or whatever. I'm pretty sure it's just a, a progression. Mm. Now, just as you said, uh, Coach Leary has been such a big mentor to you. I would also want to give you the opportunity to just talk about any other mentors that you have, who they are, what they've done for your career. And, you know, just thinking about your staff right now, how do you think it's shaped the way you've helped people after you? So I was lucky enough when I walked into this, uh, this school, and into this building, my freshman coach, uh, you met him before, Ralph. He walked into the gym. His name was Brother Robert Kent. If anyone comes through this building, um, the first person I think they should meet is Brother Robert Kent. Right now his – his responsibility, he's the head of our alumni. He's our alumni director. He's also our varsity baseball coach. Um, he was my freshman basketball coach. He's the first guy I met. He would do anything for anybody in this building. 
Okay, he's just he lives a life of service. I try to pull that from him. Or I can give to other people. I've learned that uh, from Brother Roberts. He's my freshman coach, right? So so far I'm lucky, one for one. My junior varsity coach, his name is Tommy Marchesini, winds up being one of my best friends in the world later on in life to this day. We speak every single day. He was in my wedding party. Uh, we're the best of friends. Even though there's an age difference, we're the best of friends. I get lucky enough that he's my junior varsity coach. I get lucky enough that when I start coaching a freshman team years later, he's still the junior varsity coach, and he can help me. So when Leary kind of like gives me the team and, and lets me figure things out, Tommy's my guy. I can go to, what do you think here? What would you do here? Uh, we practice freshman and JV together. He's helping me through this whole thing. Uh, if I don't have brother Robert Kent, if I don't have Tommy Marchesini by my side, I'm not talking to you today for sure. Obviously, like I said, Tim Leary. Tim Leary is probably, besides my father, Tim Leary is one of the most influential people in my life, hands down. Besides all the basketball stuff, I, I don't know how many people can say this. Tim Leary is my high school basketball coach. How many people can say your high school basketball coach became one of your best friends in the world? We spoke every single day. He passed a couple of years back. Uh, we spoke every single day on the phone or we saw each other in person uh, at practice. Every single day, my phone rang at 7 a.m., a little early, a little early, even on a Saturday morning, a little early. But my phone rang at 7 a.m., even if it wasn't about basketball. Jimmy, how's the family? Uh, how do wedding plans going? Uh, oh, yeah, how's Michael doing? Whatever. He would ask about my family, and, and it became more of just a, a player-coach relationship. And I, I always said that that's really cool, that, that one of your best friends in life is your high school basketball coach. Yeah, absolutely. Now, just thinking about those beats of, you know, you have people under you. I, I just met uh, Coach Harity, who just said that he's, he's trying to stop playing, and he's really, you know, I think that's also a pivotal decision when you're at that age where you think you could still be effective in playing. But, you know, as, as you and I know, it's just so hard. Like, luckily, I wasn't good enough that I couldn't get to the next level that I can go, you know what, I can just coach now. But that's a, a very difficult decision for somebody that's still effective on the court and they still have dreams of getting and aspiring to that next uh, situation. Is that something that, you know, you kind of just pinpoint and see somebody's potential in the coaching aspect and try to do the same beats that Coach Leary did to you? Absolutely. So if you know anything about our program, Sunday mornings in our program is big because Sunday morning, it just sets the tone for our week. We always have a staff meeting. And then the varsity team usually practices about 10 a.m. every Sunday morning. So, and when we just do, you know, in the staff meeting, we go over little things like, all right, we're for playing Bishop Lachlan on a Tuesday and we got Holy Cross coming in here on Friday. What do we want to do this week in practice? Who's playing well? Who's not? Who needs a little confidence boost? Who doesn't? Whatever. So, you know, I have to pinch myself sometimes because I'm sitting in a room at a staff meeting and I got three of the best assistant coaches I could ever have. Dan Angelastro, he runs my defense. I got Brian Haggerty, who played for me at some point. Uh, he played at Manhattanville College. I got Shane Herity, who scored 1,000 points here, um, who was a terrific player at the College of St. Rose, Division II uh, tournament team, uh, scholarship player. Uh, they're on my staff. And, like, you know, we're talking about it, and sometimes I just catch myself. I'm like, this is a really cool part of coaching, that I can have three guys – on my staff, and, and we're chopping it up, trying to figure out how we're going to beat this particular team or uh, how the hell are we going to guard uh, Christ the King on this particular night. That, that's, to me, besides working on the court with the players, that, that's one of the best things or one of the best aspects of my job. 
by far. Yeah, 100%. You know, just from my vantage point, I've been an assistant coach for 21 years. I don't know if I want the responsibility for a head coach, but I do know how important it is to have a, a great assistant coach by your side that you can really lean on, and also they do things that you can't do in that position. And on top of that, they just are a different eye and see it from a different perspective, and I think that's very important. Th those guys, without a doubt, are the backbone of what we do. They take so much off my plate. You know, there's a lot of things I think the head that I didn't even know when I became that coach. There's a lot of behind the scenes I stuff. I mean, scheduling in it's and crazy. itself is, is too much. So like, like you saw today, I can leave Shane in the gym with our guys. And I know for a fact, they're going to get a legit workout. He's going to work with them. And uh, I don't even have to worry about it. Yeah. That, and that's a, a good asset to have. Now, I did want to go through when Coach Leary eventually stepped down and then you ascended to, to the, uh, the position. How, how did that go about so uh, he was kind of at the end of it. Like I said, he had done 43 years. I mean, the man's a legend. He had 750-plus wins. Uh, he's a New York State Hall of Famer. I, I think like every other weekend I was going to some awards dinner and they were honoring him uh, when I first started. So he kind of gets to the end of it. Uh, we're at our summer basketball camp, and, and, and we're talking it up one day, and, and he says, what do you think about maybe you taking over uh, when I'm done? And I said, Coach, you know, I think for you, after 43 years and all the service you gave to the school, uh, I would hope that the school allows you to pick the next person. Whoever it is, it doesn't have to be me, but I hope they uh, allow you to pick the next person. He told me I was going to be, uh, he would like me to do it. He said he had to clear it with some uh, school administrators, and he sat down with them, and we had a meeting. And uh, they said, if you want it, the, the job's going to be yours. And I think I did one more year as like um, – his associate head coach. I, I couldn't even tell you what that means. I was doing the same, the same stuff, same responsibilities. But then that following year I, I had taken over and that was a really hard transition. You think, you know what it is and you think, you know what, I'm going to take elements of, of what Tim Leary does, but then I, I like this from here and I like that from there. And I think, you know, what? all right, so we're going to run 85 set plays and I'm going to have 17 different defenses and we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And then within the first two weeks of practice, you figure out, wait a second, 85 set plays. I don't even know the set plays. How can I expect these kids to know uh, some of this stuff? So it was a hard transition because you have, and I guess like me, I get wound up like a top sometimes. And I got all these ideas in my head. We're going to do this, 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 this. And we're going to be you know, clicking on offense like this. And we're going to shut down teams like this. You find out real fast. Tim Leary, he was pretty simple in what he did, but he got these kids to do it the right way. Right. And that's what made him so successful. And I had a backtrack and I said, whoa, I need to go back to that. I need to go back to fundamentals and just doing the little things correctly and making our teams play hard and tough. And then we'll be fine. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's a different mindset when you're the head coach of a freshman team. And it's also a different mindset when you're an assistant coach, an eternal assistant coach on the varsity level. And then when you're at the hot seat, it is completely different. Having said that, now that you had all of those experiences, now that you have a lot of years under your belt, what advice would you give to somebody that's an aspiring varsity coach that is trying to get to that next level and that's trying to get another opp an opportunity to uh, be at that level? I, I think one of the biggest pieces of advice is you, you have to constantly coach. Like it, if anyone would have told me at 22 years old, we're going to make you the varsity coach of this team, I'm telling you right now, I'd be out of coaching. I needed to learn. I needed to coach the freshman team for five years. I needed to coach the JV team for five years. Like I needed that time, again, to have some my successes, but to also more than that, have my failures. I think I would also tell people just constantly learn. Like th that's one of the beauty of, uh, 
of coaching. Uh, you can constantly learn. You can constantly get better. If I'm still coaching in 40 years from now, I don't know if I'm going to be doing that. You might be. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but if I'm still coaching 40 years from now, there's still things I can learn. So just continuously learn. Continuously be able to also take advice. And, and I think I've brought in some people in here to kind of like audit our program and to watch our practices. And some legit basketball people have given me some great advice. You guys need to shoot a little bit more than you do. Uh, you know, you went over this particular thing. And you did it for like four minutes. You need to do it for like 15 minutes and just constant learning. Yeah. And, and just like, as you said, with uh, when you started listening to the rant, it was interesting how you said that you tried to learn different things about officials. And I'm pretty sure you didn't know all that stuff about Ray Downs. Um, you know, going back to that, I would love in the future when you do start having practices, because, you know, as officials, we want to keep our firmware updated because the kids have changed and evolved from the time that we played, sure. remember, there used to be a big man, <laughs> do a little post move. Now it's like so zip different. the ball, zip yeah. the ball, zip the ball. So I think it's it's really good for from them, at least from a referee's perspective, to hear what we have to say for if those moves are legal. Because I do know that it trickles down from the professional levels where they'll see James Harden do a move and they're trying to execute it <laughs> yeah. in the practice the next day. But, you know, your whole experience of, you know, just playing, becoming a freshman coach, being the assistant all this time and, you know, watching those games early on, those double-A Catholic League games where there was everybody was all over the gym and you thought they were pros. What has your perception of officials been this whole time? So it, it's fun. When I was younger, I guess I was a little bit more of a hothead. And, and any time a, a referee would make a bad call, I'd be all over them. And I've completely changed my tune. I, I think during games, I rarely say anything to the refs anymore. And, and just my perspective on it is, you know, you got three, pretty much three groups of people that, that participate in a game. You got your players, you got your coaches, you got your referees, right? I don't think any player walks into a game and says, you know what? I can't wait to shoot two for 12 tonight. I can't wait to miss 10 shots. And I don't think any coach walks into a game like, I can't wait to blow uh, the end of the game and, and call the wrong set or not foul or, or mismanage my timeouts or whatever. And I would assume, you know better than I do, but I don't think any referee walks into a game and says, I can't wait to miss three calls in this game in a big spot. So I, I kind of, maybe it's just me getting older and having kids and whatever, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I think everybody is, is giving their best effort. And that's all I expect from the referees. If, if you run up and down the floor hard and, and you try and, and you give us a fair whistle and you give the other team a fair whistle and you allow the players on the court uh, to decide the game, I'm cool with it. And we, and we have great officials in our league. Our, our officials are top-notch. So I don't think any of our coaches can complain about our officials. Our officials are top-notch. They're professional. They show up on time. They do a good job. You can talk to these guys. Like Ray Downs, you mentioned before, I can have a conversation on the sideline, and I can be real candid with Ray in what I saw, and he can come back to me and say, well, this is what I saw. And But you know what, Jimmy? I, I understand or I appreciate uh, your opinion. And you know what, too? We have officials in our league, and they do a great job of this. I think younger officials don't do this, but our, our league officials do. They come over to you and they say, you know what? I missed that one. When I was coaching freshmen in JV Bull and younger officials and just trying to start out, they never said that. They were like, no, I saw it this way. Guys, If a guy ever comes over to me and says, Jimmy, listen, I missed that one. I'm telling you right now, I have nothing else. I'm like, okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? All right, cool. Try better. <laughs> what do you want me to tell you? But uh, so I have a ton of respect for officials. Yeah. And I was going to say that most of those guys that are able to do and capable of doing those double A games in your league, 
I mean, we're talking about, and I just figured out the formula because I just saw JV crew uh, right, right before the game that I had. And I realized as to why the differences between varsity, and it's not so much skill. It's really more about, are you a leader? It's time for you to be a leader. So what I mean by that is that, okay, maybe me and Ray are on the game and there's another official. Now, if those officials are trying to confer, it's not a situation where they're like, no, I'm not, I'm not talking to Coach Lynch. No, you talk to Coach right. Lynch. We're all equally capable. Sometimes in the beginning, you don't know who to be the leader. And when you're refing with like a, a more experienced official, you'll go, you know what, I'm going to defer to him. He's going to handle everything. Sure. As opposed to going like, no, I belong in this game. I hold equal weight, and I'm going to perform. And those are really the differences between you know, those lower-level games, those referees versus the, the higher level. Because I'm assuming that you know when, when you have those three officials, they're, they're all count, you know, they're, they're equal. They, they can right. talk to all at the same time. Now, I know you had experience officiating. I wanted to hear about those stories. <laughs> I did. I, like, I, I picked up officiating probably for a, a multitude of reasons, probably to earn a little extra cash on the side. Uh, I ref a little CYO. But the other, I was coaching, and I wanted to, again, learn, and I wanted to give our kids the best experience possible. So I said, you know what? I should figure out what officials go through, you know, what's their training like, what are some of the things they look for. So I say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take the test. I'll do the uh, written test. I'll do the floor test. I'll become an official. And then on the side, I can do some uh, CYO. I could do the men's leagues at night. Well, uh, it didn't last too long. I did some uh, men's league work at night, and I hated every second of it. It just wasn't for me. Uh, you know, I was just starting out. I wasn't too good at what I was doing. Uh, you know, if somebody yelled at me, I'm telling you, I'm giving them the next call. Like, just get out of my hair. Like, uh, it was hard. I, I think if my experience was a little different, I think if maybe I had done some youth level stuff earlier on, uh, maybe I'd still be into it. But I was more into the coaching. The refereeing aspect wasn't for me. So, but but again, tons of respect for those guys. Were you surprised how difficult it was in comparison to like your experience playing and coaching at such a high level and going like, oh, this is not exactly what I thought it would I, be? I think that's why I said so that's why I kind of stay away from these guys because it's so hard to make some of these calls. The speed of our game, the Catholic League AA varsity level, these kids are flying up and down the court, and you got to make a split-second call, a split-second decision. You blow that whistle, you better know what you're doing, uh, and you better know what call you have. Block charge? How do you make a block charge call? I mean, it could go either way on every single one. So, yeah, it, it's super difficult, and then there's nuances to it too. It's not just, all right, I called a foul. There's mechanics. There's i got to run to the right spot now. Am I table side? Am I uh, the opposite sideline? And then I don't know how you guys do this either. How do you go from maybe on a Friday night you do a Catholic League game and then Saturday you're going to do a college game? There's different rules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you stay up on the rules? Well, I, t to me, obviously I'm on the women's side in college, but I think of it as like it, they're two different languages, right? <laughs> so like if you know Spanish and you know right. English, it's, it's your quick community. I barely know English. so. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it, it just comes with the territory. As, as you do it along, you realize, and you know, I, I always like to do the trial by fire of going, like, I made a big mistake in a big moment. Okay, I'm never going to do right. that again. Because that's probably the easier way to know it, unless you have, like, a Coach Leary of officials. Right. Sure, yeah, like of course, yeah. You these things. And there's a whole bunch of those different things. You don't think you would ever officiate again, right? No, I think my officiating days are done. I'll stick to the coaching, and once the coaching is over, that's it, packing it up. So I, I did want to talk currently. Uh, we're taping this on March 6th. 2021 and you know this whole thing popped up at island garden where um, there's going to be a free tournament with a whole bunch of teams that are playing in the city to me at the very least if even if we don't know when the light is going to be at the end of the tunnel 
because we don't know what's going to happen with the city. But at least you have some solace that you're going to be able to compete for something. And, sure. you know, luckily, there's a lot of teams that bought in. Just talk about initially when you first heard about the idea and, you know, the excitement that your, your team has about, about it. So first thing, just I want to thank you. I want to thank Jim Fox. I want to thank Nick, Coach Nick. You guys are putting together. It seems like it's going to be an awesome event. I was on a Zoom call with you guys the other day. You guys, you guys, I know, I know all of you, but you're going to put a top-notch event out there for our kids and for our kids who haven't played a competitive game in a year. So we're amped up. I mean, you saw us in, in the gym working. We can't wait to get out and compete. We're, we're itching. We'll play anybody at this point. Like, we're just itching to play. Uh, we heard about it via the social media. And I think a, another coach in our league, uh, Anthony Olchevsky from uh, McClancy, he reached out to me one day and said, hey, listen, this thing's popping up. You guys thinking about playing? I'll play anything at this point. Um, so to see this event, you got 64 teams coming from all over. It's it's New York uh, State, but you got some teams from up north coming down. And our kids, me, myself, just to coach again. I haven't coached the game in a year. Like just to coach again, we can't wait for this event. Yeah, I'm really excited to see how it shakes out. And, you know, just talking about your, your kids all on the ground, you know, I, I, they had a little uh, communication about it and, you could see how much they're brimming in with excitement and just so the ability to compete because I know that from October intermittently from now, you guys have been practicing. Sure, Maybe right. then there was a COVID situation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just being able to do that because as much as how hard and intense you guys are practicing, it's still not the same beats as a game, right? No, it, it, it's not even close. And just, again, not knowing what tomorrow brings or telling a kid, all right, we're going to work out for two hours and not having a game on a Friday night to kind of you know lead up to that or, right. or to prepare for I know for myself, like, I try to – when we get into the practice, I'm, I'm trying to give the kids everything I have. But even for me, it was kind of like, ah, all right, here we go again. Yeah. We'll have this practice, and then tomorrow we'll do the same thing. Like, you know, it, it's just hard. So now that we can actually see the light at the end, it's not like, all right, in a couple of weeks, we might be playing some games here, and, and let's go, and let's compete, and let's get on the floor and go back to doing some of the things that we do. We're fired up. Right, and I know that we're both not prognosticators, but – I know de Blasio will, in the near future, have an announcement. Do you think that's going to have any, any change in, in you? Do you think there's going to be a season? Because, you know, we're taping this right now. We're early March. I mean, this is, right. we're talking about state championship. Will you be at Fordham practice? Right, sure. Most of the majority of the teams right now, their season will be over regardless. We're disappointed that we just haven't even heard anything in New York City. You know, Nassau County's playing. Westchester's playing. Suffolk County's playing. Everywhere else in New York State's playing. Surrounding states are playing. Why not us? Why can't we play? Give us a reason why we can't play. Do you have some data? Well, present that to us and tell us. Or at least at this point, say, no, you can't play, and and we move on, and and we have to deal with it. Just to not hear a single thing every single day, and and I'm checking social media. I'm I'm pulling up uh, the newspapers on on the Internet and stuff, and I'm like, oh, hopefully it's today, hopefully it's today. I don't know what's coming down. I mean, there's rumors going around that next week on Tuesday, uh, Mayor de Blasio is going to have a major announcement. I don't know what that major announcement is going to be. I'm I'm praying that for our kids, he will say New York York City, high risk sports, inside, indoors. Go ahead, have a season. And then maybe the following week we can get on the floor with Holy Cross and and have a game and have some sort of condensed schedule. I'm hoping uh, if it doesn't happen, then Island Garden, here we come. <laughs> <laughs> I think even even yeah. if he does announce that, to me it still looks like a preseason situation that at least you can get ready for that. But right. after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a coach? Uh, luck, hard work, 
I, I, I will say this. I work at it. I don't just show up, and I always have a practice plan. I'm prepared. I, I think about our team. There's probably not a – there's definitely not a day. There's probably not an hour or two that goes by that I don't think about this basketball team and, and what we're trying to do and how we can get better. And our school, I just want to see our school do well. And I think my little mini way I can help our school do well is to have our basketball team do well. And if everyone plays their part, uh, we'll be okay. So, yeah, just – you got to work at this thing. It's not easy, believe me, when I tell you, um, especially having a young family. Um, and there's times I, I miss with my family, for sure. You just got to work at it. What do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a basketball coach? I don't want to go anywhere. I, I'm, I'm super happy here. I have a great job. I've been here. I've been teaching here for 15 years. I work with great people. Uh, some of my best friends, I work with them. And I don't want to go anywhere. I have no aspirations of ever leaving here. I get to coach and teach great kids. I'm in a great school. Uh, I'm in a great situation. I don't have some of the problems that I know maybe other schools have or other programs have or whatever. Like, like you saw those 12 kids in the gym today. Like, there's not a bad kid in there. I, I may have to deal with a, a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, every, every program has problems for sure, uh, and we're not perfect. But those kids, like like when I get to coach Todd Rochelle on the court, that's a great kid. That, that's one of my all-time favorite kids I've ever coached in my entire life. One day I'm hoping he's going to be on my staff at some point. Same with Shane Herity, like, and Brian Haggerty and Danny Angelastro. Like, I got to coach those kids at one point. Now they're coming back. That's fun. That's great. That, like, like, to me, that's endgame. Yeah, yeah. And at this school has given you so much, and – those kids have given you so much as players, sure. and now they're giving you so much as coaches. Um, just just before I go to the last beats of the, the show, how much do you think kids have changed from when you first started coaching to now? It, it's I, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to handle being a kid right now. Like, How do you have that phone in your hand all the time, and you have social media, you have text messaging? When I was a kid, we didn't have text messaging. Like, we didn't have nothing. And I was the, one of the first people to ever say, like, oh, this text messaging thing, this will never <laughs> catch on, right? You know, like, I didn't have a cell phone until I was in college. You know, like, I don't know how these kids deal with it. I, I, it's hard, you know, like, just to give you an example, when I played in high school, I got dunked on by quality kids, Division One players, right, every other game. Nobody knows that because there was no social media. There's no phone. Somebody would have been flashing a phone of that, and I would have been embarrassed, right? Our kids would have to go through that. Referees, you guys make a bad call in a bad spot. That's on social media. Yeah. Right now. So I think that's hard. I think kids also have to, like, what do we post on social media? we got to watch because that could, that could take me out of a scholarship opportunity down the line, and someone's going to check up on that. So I, it's hard for kids now. And, and they, I, in some aspects, maybe they have it easier than maybe we did, but there's other aspects that they have it uh, more difficult for yeah, sure. Listen, I was going to say that when we first started having, like, text messages and social media started becoming – you know, very ubiquitous in society. I think a lot of people didn't know how to use it. And you would often see that athletes would always get in trouble as opposed to doing <laughs> course, things. Yeah. But, you know, I think now at this point, I really think that now high schoolers, college kids, even referees, we try to show there's there could be a positive imprint. Sure. It really, it really is, you know, what you make of it. I've right? completely changed my tune on social media. I, I Like I told I was never like a big guy on that. I, I barely know how to uh, use it. But I get a lot of my information from social media, and, and that's, how, that's how kids communicate now. It's, it's different than uh, when I wanted to hang out with my friend back in the day. I used to have to call their house. I'd have to talk to an adult, their parents. Imagine that, right? These kids wouldn't be, know how to do that right now. But it's so different right now. But I, I've actually changed my tune. If you can use social media for a positive 
and it's going to help a kid, why not? Yeah, and, and that's what I was saying. I think in the beginning when I started Referee Rant, I was really reluctant to put the face of me in it because I didn't know how it was going to be perceived because I didn't think people caught up to sure. what you were saying. And when, when did that change happen for you of going like, all right, social media is okay. I see it. There's how you went. Fairly recently. I, <laughs> I, I always like, uh, we have a social media account for our school and, and for our, uh, for our team and our program. I always had somebody else running it for me and, and they had access to it. I started taking it over, I guess during the quarantine a little bit more, something I have to learn. Let me, let me figure this thing out. Now it's like, it's almost hard to get off it right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm learning like, I'm finding out information about other teams, what they're doing, colleges. It's pretty useful. Yeah, it's a great way to get connected. And shout out to Coach Massaroni of Stepanak, who handles the Step Basketball account, yeah, sure. and he does an excellent job with it. Well, it's funny because really some of these teams that, that have these, these great, talented teams, I always said to myself, like, how can we keep up with these guys, right? Well, one way we can keep up is social media. We, we can do the same thing. I might not be able to to coach some of the same guys he coaches, that's okay. Um, but I can keep up with you on the social media. <laughs> Try. Not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and good luck to the Brother Stolt, the, the best of seven series, which at least has been keeping us entertained. How awesome right? is that? I mean, I so watched good. the game last night, and, and Stefanak won the game, but who, who cares even about that? The two teams competed. It was great to see Iona. Steve Alvarado does a great job with them, and then Pat Masseroni with his team and their programs and their kids, and they got the cardboard cutouts and – they did a tremendous Metro Team Sports who helps us out too. Uh, they did a great job with that whole event. Yeah, man, I was getting confused because I, I didn't realize, I wasn't sure if it was best of seven or they were just going to play seven games and nobody wants to see so, seven So games let me ask you, does, does Pat take a dive in the next game? Like, do, do you want to play more games? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't right? Know. I don't know. Is it better for your kids? Well, I, I, I He's do. not. He's going to try to win. Open invite for him to be in the tournament because, <laughs> you know, we, we just sure. spoke and he said that, uh, you know, he's playing games right now and good for him. Yeah, um, absolutely. We would love to have him in the tournament, absolutely. Um, but if you can pinpoint, what is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a basketball player, and what is the most stickiest situation that you had thus far as a basketball coach? Uh, I'm trying to think of a, a basketball player, I guess. Like sometimes when I took the floor here for St. Francis and I looked down the other end, and I, I think I was one of the bigger guys if I wasn't the tallest guy on the team, and I got to guard like a, a 6'8 kid or something, and, and that was every other night. Uh, yeah, that was tough. And, and, and going up against some of those guys and, and some of the D1 talent that I had played against, that was tough, night in, night out. Uh, I think coaching-wise, you know, I, I guess every coach kind of goes through this too. Like you put so much or you invest time and, and behind-the-scenes stuff with certain kids, and then after a couple of years they leave you. And in some situations when they leave you to go to a prep school or to transfer or whatever – in some situations, it is the right move. Don't get me wrong. Not everyone's situation is the same. Everyone's unique. In other situations, it's probably not the right move. But just sometimes the way that families and kids go about it now. Listen, if you want to leave, you want to leave our program, have a sit down. Let's talk about this. And let's come to some sort of you know uh, solution to this whole thing. Because sometimes it, you... I hear on social media, somebody left my program. I just coached you for three years and you don't have the decency to call me on the phone or, or to say, Hey coach, uh, let, let's have a meeting. Let's go out for a lunch or something. And let, let's talk about a few things, you know, cause there would be, like I'm saying, there would be some situations where I would tell the kid, I think it's best you go. I, I think you've done as much as you can here. And, and maybe, you know, we're just not connecting or maybe there's no opportunity past this. Why don't you try this out? Other situations, I'd probably say, I think you should stay. I think you're crazy. I think this is the place to be and everything in between. But 
I guess after you, and, and I don't think any coach, I think coaches are lying to you if they tell you it doesn't bother them. I think it bothers all of us. You invest a year, two years. I don't care if you invest 10 minutes in a kid and then they up and leave you without telling you, that's a tough situation. Yeah, absolutely. Having said that, on a, on a more positive note. <laughs> Let's what go think, positive here. What do you think is your best moment as a basketball player and what do you think is your best moment thus far as the head coach of St. Francis Prep Terriers? I think just as a, as a basketball player, being able to play high school basketball uh, for my school and representing my school. I, I was also, I was lucky enough to play in the Empire State Games, I don't even know if you remember this. I do. The Empire State Games was a big deal in New York State, and I got picked to be on that team. And there were some pros on that team. Don Kent from uh, McClancy, who's brother Robert Kent's brother, he was the coach of the team. Uh, and it was a super cool experience. I, I just saw a picture of our team. Um, I, I was less a couple of pounds for sure, but uh, in those days, and uh, I, that was a super cool experience for me. Hands down, the best part of my, my coaching career uh, was what we did last year when we won the Brooklyn Queens championship. We had struggled uh, for a long time, and, and to win that, I think somebody had told me it was 20 years since we won previously. We, we were struggling to even win one playoff game at that point, and then to, to reel off two or three wins in a row during that week on our home floor in front of our own fans – Great moment for us. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say this, the whole preempted of it is like it's, it's a season that you definitely um, want to not remember, but it's something that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Absolutely. The way it was. Sure. But, um, my final question to you is, you know, I think basketball and St. Francis Prep, those two identities for you have just been so inextricably linked for, you know, the majority of your life, right? As a player, as a, sure. as a student here, yeah. as a teacher. I don't here, know much different. <laughs> um, you know, what I wanted to ask you is those intersections of the two. St. Francis Prep and basketball, what do they mean to you? What has it given to you in your life? It, it's my entire life. It's, it's my life's work. It's, um, I started as a student in 95. I've never left for the most part. Um, I hope to never leave. I, this is where I'd like to finish my teaching career, my coaching career. Um, I owe a lot to St. Francis Prep, the, the administrators here, uh, all the people that I've crossed paths, here, uh, paths with here. Uh, I owe a lot to them. I'm very thankful to them. I'm very humbled by everything. Uh, and all the opportunities that get given to me. Hopefully all of our kids that pass through here and that I come into contact with, we're a big school. I don't come into contact with everybody, but anyone that I come in contact with, I, I hope that I can kind of give them the same experience. Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, man, I, I really appreciate the passion that you have for your school because sometimes I'm like, why do I love Kellenberg so much? <laughs> like, why, why have I been such an ambassador for it for 20, almost 25 years at this point? But it's because, you know, I love it. Yeah, yeah it. absolutely. It's, it's done so You can see that, too. When I talk to you, and, and one of the first things that comes up is I'm the coach at Kellenberg, and, and you can tell, like, you wear that with pride, and, and you should. It's a great thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a great school, and I feel, you know, exactly the same way I do feel about this school. It's, it's, I'm sure it gives so many people so many opportunities. It's academically challenging, and, of course, the athletics are amazing here. But I thank you for your time, Coach Lynch. This has been awesome. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I just, I just want to thank you and, and everything that you do, and I wish you the best of luck. I, I appreciate you spending some time with our kids and talking to our kids, and, um, and I know you have their best interests at heart too, so I just want to thank you. Yeah, 100%. And for Coach Lynch, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.